Shooting video on the iPhone. I know two guys who do it all the time. That would be Scott Bourne and Jefferson Graham. And, you know, we talk a lot here on the iPhone Photo Show about taking photos, but we don't spend enough time talking about video. So for today, it's an all-video episode. What do you say, Scott? I'm super glad because, frankly, that's almost 90% of my use of the iPhone. So we're going to do that, and we're also going to talk to a guy, a friend of mine named Zachary Shapiro, who actually likes editing his stuff, prefers editing on the iPhone and the iPad to using it on the computer. Go figure. Um, I don't think you'd find Scott and Jeff saying the same thing, but that's the great thing about the show. We have multiple opinions. Let's start by just setting up and telling everybody how we use the phone for videos, like what are we doing? Uh, you know Scott's a, a, a nationally known, world known bird photographer. So what sort of stuff is he shooting video-wise on the iPhone? Well, I I actually captured about uh, 10 hours of footage at Bosque del Apache on the iPhone. I use it for time-lapse, I use it for scenics, I use it anytime I don't have to do a close-up of the bird then I use the iPhone because, and this is the only, this whole show is only happening, and our conversation that started is only happening because iPhones now come with ProRes. And I wasn't even going to buy an iPhone 13. It wasn't on my radar. And then somebody had said it came with ProRes, and I went, what? Wait, what, what? Because all the Blackmagic cameras I use are ProRes, and they edit together seamlessly, ProRes is an industry standard. It's one of the best codecs out there. It's very high quality. And when I found out the iPhone could use it, well, that's what got my attention. So I use it pretty much any time I don't need to get close-ups of birds. Obviously, a 77-millimeter lens or whatever it is ain't going to get the job done for close-ups of birds because they can fly and they don't like humans. All right. I have, a, I have a video series called PhotoWalks TV where I shoot every episode on the iPhone. I had a camera theft uh, about a year and a half ago now as, as I was talking into a Sony camera and some guys came running running up and, and hauled it away within like two seconds, uh, $6,500 worth of gear. And I decided that I would, from now on, when I was out in public, the iPhone is so good, I'm just going to shoot everything on it and it's been the most freeing experience uh, for me as you know I've been shooting video uh, pretty professionally since 2006 uh, many years I was at USA Today uh, doing a video show there called Talking Tech and uh, I've been kicked out of every place you could imagine when they see the tripod and the big black camera they go oh dear oh dear no 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 but I could walk in anywhere with the iPhone and they don't even look at you. And that is the most freeing thing in the world. And I, I, I think Scott's probably experienced some of that, right? It's very stealthy. And I have helped some of my friends that do uh, narrative documentaries and productions do the second camera work, and I've used an iPhone. Uh, one thing that comes to mind is we wanted to get a unique shot of a guy that we were interviewing, and we just didn't want to do the standard three-point lighting, straight-on-camera thing. So we wanted the B-cam to be a side view and profile. But the, the room we were in was tiny. But there was a wall of books there. And so what we did was we put 
a bunch of books on the floor so they weren't in the scene, and we stuck my iPhone on a platypod, pointed at the guy, and then we used a remote app that works with Filmic Pro to monitor it. And so in a tiny little six-inch space that no way a big camera was going to get in, the iPhone came in there, shot 4K ProRes footage, and it matched up perfectly with everything else we are doing. You can put the iPhone in places that a big camera just can't go, or you wouldn't want to put it there even if it could. Okay, so let's talk about settings. You know that Scott is big on ProRes, and I'll get into that in a second. Our choices are 1080p or 4K. Uh, the higher you go, the more storage you're going to eat up. And if you've bought a iPhone with 128 gigabytes, you're not going to get very far. You'll need the 512, or, or in Scott's case, you'll get the uh, the terabyte. I shoot in 4K. I don't shoot in ProRes because the iPhone has told me I don't have enough room for ProRes. Now, Scott, tell everybody what the big difference is. I mean, we, you know, 4K is really high resolution to begin with. How much extra juice are you getting with ProRes? So here's, it's, it's not just ProRes, it's ProRes HQ. And it's important to make that designation because there's versions of ProRes uh, that are lighter than this, but it's 10 to 2. It's the thing here, Jefferson, is 4K is 4K. But when you get into editing and you have to do compositing or you have to do grading, color grading, you have to do color matching, you may have to do some slow mode. When, when you start to do editing, the higher bit rate that you get out of ProRes allows you to do so without any apparent quality loss. If you're not shooting in ProRes and you start doing heavy color grading, for instance, you're going to introduce noise or pixelization pixelation you'll see it uh you don't see it if you shoot in prores because it's basically the difference between raw and jpeg jefferson like when you're shooting in raw you have more details to work with when you're editing when you shoot in jpeg you have less so that would be the difference 4k is 4k but the prores 4k just gives you more to work with in post okay let's talk about we go to a shoot and i handhold all the time I also use a grip. I use a tripod. I use a gimbal. Uh, what about? And we, we we'll dive into all that stuff. But Scott, how about your basic process when you, when it, whether you're in Bosque or in, or in in Washington State? What what do you what are you putting your iPhone in? Well, it's really interesting, Jefferson. You, you know, at Bosque, I have a a little sandbag that I use that I lay over my front door window. And I balance lenses and such on that. And when I was at Bosque and a piece of footage I've shared in this story I've shared before is, you know, it was sunrise. The sun was coming up behind a tree. There was some dust in the air. And, and all of a sudden, a flock of geese flew over. Well, 36-second boot-up time on the Ari Alexa, the guy, you know, the shot would be gone. I literally just was sort of driving my car and laying the iPhone on that sandbag and shooting. So I'll go from that all the way to the extreme of hooking it up to a Matthews $25,000 tripod with a fluid head if I've got to do some very sophisticated camera moves. I've used, I've actually mounted my iPhone uh, in, in in all kinds of professional rigs, a steady cam, uh, you name it. But for the most part, I just use about a two thousand dollar tripod with a fluid head. And I do want to say, 
if you're going to do a lot of video, they call it motion picture for a reason, and that means the camera should be moving as well as the subject. So you got to learn camera moves, things like pans, tilts, whip pans. These kinds of moves are much easier to accomplish smoothly if you have a fluid head. Now, you don't need the expensive one I have. In fact, my pick of the week is one that's a you know, under 200 bucks. Uh, you, you can get a good fluid head for a couple hundred bucks that's much better than just using a traditional tripod head. So for me, movement is a big deal. That's the hardest thing when I first started Jefferson, coming from stills to motion. <laughs> uh, coming from stills to motion, you, you, you're used to just putting your camera on a tripod and leaving it there, not moving it. In, in the motion picture business, you, you're going to be moving your camera. I mean, just think of a movie being made and think of uh, somebody pushing a guy sitting on a, on a crate a, a, on a railroad track to get the shot or, or a yeah. jib going up in the air. That, that's sort of some of the fun stuff that Scott's talking about that we don't do, but I'd certainly love to, right? Well, I've done a lot of jib and crane shots, and one, one of the great things people know, I love Filmic Pro. I use that app because there's a companion app that I use on my iPad that lets me see in real time what the camera sees. So a jib is a is a device that that gets your camera up high in the air and then can you see this shot that look and before there were drones <laughs> they used jibs on everything and you see this shot where the camera starts high and kind of comes in that's a jib shot or a crane shot and I can mount it up there, and I use a platypod. I, I screw it in on these professional jobs. There's places to do that, and then you unscrew it when you're done. And then I can monitor and actually adjust on the iPad and see what I'm seeing, and then the jib operator can do the same thing. And it's really fun because now you start to get different looks and I swear, I've said this a million times on this show, and I'm going to say it a million more. If you want your camera to give you pro results, you got to treat it like a pro camera. I use an Ari Alexa, which is a very expensive, tens of thousands of dollars camera, and I put it on a jib. Why wouldn't I put an iPhone on a jib? Right. Well, I don't have a jib. <laughs> I, I do have my $25 grip, which is a... Insta360 selfie stick tripod. People have heard me talk about it. it. It's $25. It's an amazing little thing. It helps me steady the camera. I can take, I do run and gun. So for running and gunning, this thing is fabulous. If, uh, if I want a little better, steadier shot, uh, use the DJI OM5 gimbal, which sells for about $150. That's very nice. Doesn't fit in the pocket as easily as DJI would like to tell you it does. So sometimes if you're running around, it uh, maybe wear a nice vest like uh, Scott would have, and you could stick it in there. Uh, I do. I I have a tripod that is not $2,500. Uh, it's more in the $100 range. It's a very light little me photo thing that I, I drag around for time lapses because I find that once you have the shot set up and you have the camera in the tripod mount, uh, the smartphone tripod mount, and you press record, you make it a little buzz, a little bit of um, movement at the beginning, but then it will be just fine. And again, I'm running and gunning. I uh, 
I, I know a heavier tripod would be better. It just doesn't always work out for me. And uh, the other thing I want to talk about is the length of the clip. It, uh, it, it, again, it's all about motion. Sometimes I find that with my handheld shots, I have the need to like get a shot of the waves coming in and out and then push, move the camera to the left or the right, do something that I think is interesting. Well, it is interesting until Jeff tries to edit it. And then he says, why, why do you do this stuff? Just leave the shot so that I can get, you know, I, I always find that where, however long the shot is, it's not long enough for me to cut around it. What's your experience, Scott? Well, you, you know, this is a very important skill to learn. And people who work with video editors and in the motion picture business, the people who make the video, shoot the video, are not the people who edit the video, that you come to, this is what we call the business coverage. You'll get a shot list from a producer that says, give me a whip pan and a push-in, and an MCU, which stands for medium close-up, and those are the three shots they want. And so, you know, you you see in the script how long this is going to be. It's a it's going to be in there four seconds. So we shoot fourteen seconds, and we shoot it a couple of different ways. So there's some some room for error on each end. And just like in landing a plane, the most or, or flying in a plane, the most dangerous part is landing and and uh, you know, taking off with video, the first and last part of the movement is the most, you know, kind of jarring. So you give enough for the editor to come around that. And you can do with your little selfie stick or specifically with the DJI, you can do a jib like move. You start up really high yeah. and, and just move down slowly towards the subject and then push in a little bit. And, and Jeff, the thing is, most people don't realize sometimes the push in is 12 inches or 24 inches. And this is different than a zoom in. A zoom in is where we zoom in to get to the subject. A push in, the camera physically moves towards the subject. And when you do this, even 12 or 14 inches, it gives that illusion of movement. And I'm going to give everybody a tip right now. If you're having trouble, and you will have trouble when you start doing this because it's hard to learn until you practice it. It's like anything else. you got to practice it. Shoot in slow-mo. If you shoot in slow-mo, then everything smooths out and you can sort of fake it until you make it. So I tend to do all the shots twice. I do them in standard, whatever I'm shooting in, and then I do them in slow-mo. And boy, I tell you what, there are times when the slow-mo saved my bacon, Jeff. Yeah. The one caveat I have to tell everybody about slow-mo is sometimes if you're shooting inside like at a, a restaurant or a store or something and they have fluorescent lights, sometimes you might get in the slow-mo, the fluorescent lights are flickering to the point where it ruins your shot. So be, you, you, you'll be able to tell once you start recording. If, if it's bad, just stop and, and move somewhere where you don't have those lights in the shot. Yeah, that's a good dip. Yeah. Let's talk about lighting. When I started doing video, uh, I, I complained that my camera was messed up because I was shooting in a bar and it was eight o'clock at night and the picture was terrible. And <laughs> a very wise person said to me, you know, video needs lighting too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what it's do you like, do for lighting? Well, I, again, just depends on the job, Jeff. At Bolske, I have to work with natural light, obviously, because I'm an, a nature guy there. And so I, I work I work around the sunrise and sunset, same thing. Still photographers do the same thing you've done all your life and taught all your life. But when we're on a movie set, 
It doesn't matter. We shoot daylight scenes at midnight. We shoot midnight scenes at noon. We make the light. It's all constructed. That's what gaffers do. They come in and build sets, and then the lighting guys come in. And that, you know, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. You can make it look like anything you want. But we're working with very large light sources, very expensive light sources. Now, for the, our audience, something as simple as a hundred dollar. LED light. I recently gave as a pick of the week the Beast Grip LED light. Uh, you can use it on camera for what we call ENG, electronic news gathering. You've seen that before. Your local news person is standing there with a camera and a microphone and a light, and it's front lit. It's kind of harsh, but it's you know you're at least lit. Um, but you can do some cool things with reflectors and using natural features of the place you're at. For instance, if you go to Oregon, you'll see these big, huge walls that are kind of orange and yellow and they're, you know, it's sand, it's built up and there's trees above them. And you could put a person next to one of those at sunset and get a nice warm light bouncing off that wall. And that works as a light source. So you just have to think about light uh, but, you know, with video, it is really important to make sure that you're not afraid to make some. And by the way, your, your comment about the jib, Jeff, I don't have a jib either. And in our business, nobody does. In our business, everybody rents everything. So you know, this is such a different world from the still photography business where everybody buys their cameras and their tripods and their lenses. Most of the serious cinematographers I know, they own some lenses that they like, but they don't own anything else. They rent the camera, they rent the tripod, they rent the jib, they rent the crane, they rent the lights. It's all in a budget, and whatever the budget is for the shoot, that's what you work with. So, no, you know, you don't need to own this stuff. There are rental houses where you live in L.A., some of the biggest in the world. Anything you want to rent, you can get on an hour's notice. Yeah. Um, lighting, uh, I do use the LED. I use the Loom Cube occasionally, uh, which we have given away here, I believe. Uh, Loom Cube show. does a great job. Yeah. Uh, just be sure to put some wax paper over it to diffuse it because it could be a little strong. And the other thing, and we've talked about this, this is a great tip. Use somebody's iPhone, the flashlight. And yeah. use that to illuminate the face. Uh, so, you know, the odds are you're going to be in a situation where somebody doesn't have a lube cube in their pocket, but they do have an <laughs> iPhone. It is guaranteed that somebody, uh, where, when you're shooting, will have an iPhone. Turn on the flashlight, adjust it accordingly, and it will add a lot to your shot. And I'm going to give you a tip there with that flashlight. Get as close to the subject as you possibly can without being in camera frame. I know it's counterintuitive, but the the closer the light, the softer the light. We want a nice soft light if we're doing people uh, for almost every uh, situation. So don't stand back 20 yards. It's gonna. It's not going to help. you got to get very close, as close as possible, just so that it's out of the shot. And another tip on top of that, I'll double down, Jeff, is take that flashlight, turn it around and point it at a 3x5 white card, and now you've just made that light source bigger and it's softer yet, but it will be more diffuse. And 
there's a thing in it called light fall off and there's actual formulas you can you can calculate based on how many lumens it is how quickly it will fall off it will fall off pretty fast so again you've got to get all of these things very close to your subject and a, a three by five white card you could put in your pocket and take with you yeah right? you can you can or a three by five foot one that you can put in your car yeah okay let's talk about apps uh I shoot video in the iPhone video app, the the stand, uh, in the camera app, and I and I, I go to video mode. Uh, Scott does not do that. Scott uses third-party apps. Tell everybody why. Well, you know, I will say for about five percent of my work, I do use the iPhone app sometimes for just time lapses that are simple, and also I do like the new cinematic mode, although it's a little hooky. It's it's easier just to create that with a real camera move. But uh, I just use Filmic Pro. That's the industry standard. That's what almost everybody uses for video that works with a smartphone. And it is, it's, if you're used to using cinema cameras, which I now am, the thing about Filmic Pro is it gives you all the same tools that you would have using a cinema camera, whereas those tools aren't available in the iPhone video app. Things like waveforms, things like zebras, um, you know, uh, the, these are all important tools that video people use. And, I, and there's a longer list, of course. I'm just hitting a couple. But, um, you, you know, I like the tools. I like the, the way that they render. And, again, it, they support uh, ProRes and 4K. And it just, for me, the question is always, Jeff, how is this going to look in post? Because the easy part for me is capturing it. The hard part for me is editing. When I don't have budget for an editor and I have to do the editing, it needs to be pretty simple because I'm not that great. All right. Well, speaking of editing, let's uh, listen to my conversation with Zachary Shapiro. He is a rabbi at the Temple Akiba in Culver City, California. Very tech-savvy rabbi who's always showing me his new video that he did on his iPad and his iPhone. And I said, you got to come on the show and tell everybody about some of this stuff. So here he is, Zachary Shapiro. I've been a big fan of iOS and iMovie and uh, all those things. I don't use any of the Photoshop or other add-ons. I only use the uh, the Apple products, not that uh, the others are better or worse, but it's what I, what I like using. I find it fairly intuitive. And when it comes to, uh, editing videos, uh, to creating a montage, to creating, uh, uh, whimsical, uh, compilations, I find that uh, doing it from the iOS platform, uh, is uh is fun and it's fairly easy uh there are a couple of setbacks to it uh for example uh what i cannot yet do with ios is put something in reverse if it's a movie um what i can't easily do is uh if i want to speed something up i can speed it up once but i can't speed it up again if i want it quadruple time for example uh so i need to uh, save it and then upload it again as a new video to speed things up once again. But you could do all those things in iMovie on the computer. I probably could do them on the computer. This the the drawback I have with the computer is that uh, I find the Mac version of it 
uh, cumbersome. On the iOS system, I find it I find it fun and very easy. Okay, and you prefer it on the iPad to the iPhone? Just because it's bigger. I mean, a, a simple project I'll do on the iPhone, but uh, uh, I've created uh, incredibly um, profound family video montages uh, exclusively using uh, the iPad. Uh, what about Final Cut? Have you ever tried that? No. Okay. We'll have to show you Final Cut one of these days. It's a pretty good program. Uh, this is what I use. And uh, I, I find it really hard to edit on the phone. I just It's just too small. But I, I haven't tried on the iPad, so I'll have to give that a try. It's, it's really the same. I don't think there's anything on the iPad that you can't do on the phone or vice versa. Maybe there's a couple of things. It's just that the iPad is, uh, is larger. Especially if you use the iPad Pro the way I do, uh, it makes it uh, makes it very easy. Okay, I use the iPad Pro as a teleprompter. Ah, right, which is amazing. Which I do as well. I started using it as a, as a teleprompter using whatever program I have a couple of years ago. Uh, it has transformed the way I'm able to uh, uh, to look into a uh, to look into a, uh, a lens and uh, and speak the words. And what are you doing with the iPhone photography-wise during the week? Because we know we're, you're not taking pictures on Saturday morning. Well, during the week, I, Jeff, you know I got these two twins at home, and uh, they they keep my life pretty busy. So I'm if I look through my iPhoto library, it's probably ninety percent uh, of my toddler twins. Um, but the truth is, I'm also. Uh, as you know, I, I, I have a blog called A Moment in Time, and I'm really aware of mir miracles that occur in the world every day. And I'm not talking about a miracle, about a big cataclysmic, some cataclysmic something. I mean, a mir I mean a miracle like seeing the beauty of a green leaf against a blue sky. I mean, wow, just wow, what a gift that is. And so you pull out the phone, you just take a picture of it. And it's not going to win any awards in National Geographic, but it is a reminder that if we keep our eyes open and, uh, and our lens, the shutter of our soul open, then, uh, then we'll, we'll truly feel God's communication with us. Well, isn't that the beauty of the iPhone uh, camera? Because it's so good and it's with you all the time and you yeah. can you know, document those moments that you probably didn't have a camera with you 15 years ago. Right. Look, 15 years ago, you know this better than I, uh, we had to be very parsimonious with the photos we took. You know, you had 36 on your, uh, uh, in your cartridge. Maybe you had a couple of cartridges with you, but you couldn't take as many photos as we, as you do now. Right. My problem is, is I've got 60,000 photos in my library because I forget to delete them. So how do you find, because this is, the, I think, the biggest problem for most people is they've taken zillions of pictures, but they have no idea where anything is. I, I, I usually search for a photo by location. You know, I remember that I was in this particular geographic place. Uh, and so I'll, I'll go to iOS or, or um, my Mac and, and just uh, choose, choose it by location. The other thing, by the way, that I do take photos of consistently is aviation. And uh, I go out to uh, the parking lot by In-N-Out Burger at LAX. Right. And I capture planes uh, on approach. Uh, it's a, been a hobby of mine since I was in my teens. 
and uh, I'm very proud of uh, the collection that I have. And, uh, and one of the things I enjoy doing is capturing it in slow motion, which is easy to do on the phone. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's something that I enjoy. For those who don't know, in and out Westchester is the best spot to watch the planes come in. And if you want a really cool shot, you'll get it coming in over the in and out burger. Right. And if you go to the parking lot next door, go to the third floor, really nice spot. Right. Have you done that? I have. And then they shoot me out. There, right. So. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Because if you're trying to get the picture of the plane, it happens so fast. If you're right. looking at your email, forget it. It's, it's not going to happen. You got to right. be on your toes. Right. Anyway, right. Rab, Rabbi Zachary Shapiro, check out his blog, A Moment in Time. Where do they find that? Uh, the best way to find it uh, is, uh, is actually the Jewish Journal. And uh, it's uh, under the blogs there. And every every Thursday morning, a new one comes out. Okay, we will put that in the show notes. Thank you so much. All right, Scott, he's a lot of fun. And um, it's great to see a rabbi doing a service holding his iPad the whole time. It uh, <laughs> shows you how the world has changed from the Torah to the iPad. Um, we, ta- we talked about editing. Um, I am hooked on Final Cut. I cannot edit on the iPhone. Uh, and I suppose the iPad is okay, but then I got to get all my footage there, and my footage is linked to my computer. So it's Final Cut for me all the way. How about you? Yeah, I I haven't <laughs> I haven't used the iPhone for an editor except for a few photo things uh, here and there, but uh, I I just I have to say in my case it's as much to do with. I'm old and I can't see so well. Uh, you know, there are apps you can use that are dedicated for the iPhone. I really, you know, I have never actually, if I'm honest, tried any of them except for one, which is sort of, again, the industry standard. LumaFusion is the app that most pros use that if they do edit on the iPhone, that's the most full-featured app, and it's uh, it's very good. I mean, I can tell. It's just that that screen isn't big enough, and my eyes aren't good enough to make that work. So I have a big, beautiful 6K monitor that I can edit on. Why in the world would I edit on this tiny little screen? Yeah, it kind of helps to see what, what's going on. Um, we didn't talk about audio, and we should uh, not end mm-hmm. the show without talking about audio because audio is 50%, 60% of your project. If you have lousy audio, they're not going to watch the beautiful video. So that, it, That's exactly right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it, it's an ahead. old saying. It's an old saying. Somebody will watch crappy video, but they won't listen to crappy sound. Right. It's, it can be tough. So the microphone on the iPhone is okay, but you can't do anything professional with it because it picks up everything from my voice right here to the bus going down the street to somebody screaming in the other room, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I swear by my Rode Wireless Go to Lav microphones, you get uh, one little box that connects to the phone, and then you can put two of these on two different people. So they're great to do interviews with. And uh, in the show notes, we're going to have the accessory cable that you need to plug it into the iPhone because, as you know, there's no microphone jack, which is where it would go. On Android phones, it goes straight to USB-C, but we don't care about Android. We only care about iPhone. So we'll tell you about that. 
I've used pretty much every microphone that you could use. I've used um, the uh, shotgun mics. I've never had good sound from one of those. And I've used a handheld mic. I used to use the IK Multimedia iRig, which was really good. But for, you know, for the stuff that we're doing, people don't want to see the newsman out in the field holding the microphone. They want to see a lab mic on people. It's more relaxed. How about you? What say you, Scott, for mics? Well, I have the same setup. And if I'm doing people, which I'm rarely doing, uh, I would absolutely recommend that setup. I, on the other hand, am doing nature. So I actually use a variety of very, very expensive high-end shotgun and stereo field recorder mics. And I, and I record everything into a Zoom F6, which is a you know $1,000 uh, device that I sync with the footage later. But uh, if you want to use a on-camera mic, so to speak, a little, um, a little in addition to, you know, I think the best bet is what Jeff said. Use if you can afford it, the the Rode Lav wireless is the way to go. Now, if you can't afford it, you can for twenty bucks buy a wired Lav, and it'll still sound pretty good. It'll still sound way better than the mic on the iPhone. The, the key to all audio is getting the mic close to the speaker's mouth. But the Deity uh, microphones are kind of cool because they are dual capsules, one facing the person operating the camera and one facing the person that they're interviewing. So as long as the person's within three feet of the camera, uh, the Deity D4, I think, is a good choice. It's less than 100 bucks. Um, and some shotgun mics like from Rode and those kinds of people are fine. But you've got to be – the reason you didn't have good luck with shotgun mics probably, Jeff, is that you didn't either have a, a qual good enough quality one or the people are too far away. Now, we haven't mentioned boom operators. And uh, you can buy a mic boom for a couple hundred bucks and hang the mic over the person that talks. But, again, that requires crew. Now, in the real world, we have – 11 or 12 people making a video. In Jeff's world, it's just Jeff. So he has to make all this stuff work. And I tell you what, the quality that you produce, my friend, given the fact that you have no help, I tell you what, it is stunning. It is absolutely stunning. I can't believe you pull it off. I'm lazy. I'm used to sitting in a chair telling young people what to do, and I like that part better. But you have managed to make these little mini photo tripods, which I would not trust with a toothpick. You've managed to make them work. Thank, thank you very much. I, I will say that I find editing to be another form of writing. I write to the footage, and I it, it all comes together. I think it was Scott actually told me once that I couldn't hire an editor because uh, the whole process that I go through is me, and I couldn't do it if I was asking someone else to do it for me. Is that? Is, didn't you say yeah, something I, like that? I did say that because I, I really see your personality and your edits and because you are a lifelong journalist and a lifelong producer of content, you do have the eye. You know what the editor wants because you're the editor. Now, the skill that I have is I know what the editor wants because I know the editor. <laughs> but you, uh, there, I believe there's a editing. There's a reason they give Oscars for editing in a separate category, and it's a it's always it's a category that almost always makes the TV show because it's a really big deal. The editor is probably more responsible for what you see on the big screen than the director or any actor or the writers. The editor is making incredible choices, and of course they do rely on the rest of the team. 
but uh, you're the editor because you you see this thing. The reason I like walking, watching Photo Walks TV is you make me want to go there. That's how come I know it's a good series. And I don't think it would happen if you handed it off to, you know, like there's all these guys from India that contact me 13 times a day. I will edit your video footage for 99 cents. I, I mean, they're not going to do the job you're going to do. The problem with video, folks, and we might as well just tell you the truth, it's 10 times more work for the same money as stills. I hate to say it, but uh, if you love it, you love it, and it's a great way to tell stories, and you get 24 frames a second and or 30 or how many ever you're shooting. Uh, it, it, I've come to embrace it a little bit, but I do still prefer still photography, and I, I do long for the days when I could make this kind of money just taking one one picture. <laughs> Um, I will just say that I like it all. I, if they say, what do you prefer, videos or photos? I say both because I like doing it all. And uh, I like podcasting. It's part of that's the same thing. And um, one other thing I have to add is the best way to learn about your videography and how good you are and is watch your stuff. And when you edit, you watch your stuff and you, you, you see all your mistakes and you say, I'm not going to do that again. And I know what to look for, but and that's by doing the edit and and looking at your footage. Yeah, I practice. It's like this: practice your piano to be a good piano player. Practice your golf swing to be a good golfer. Practice your video to be a good video shooter. It all comes down to practice. And whatever you do, don't take a paying job until you've done at least one where you didn't get paid so you can understand what you need to do because otherwise you're going to be standing there with your hat in your hand saying, I'm sorry. Uh, just go out and try to do it a couple of times. There are, I, I'm, I've been lucky enough to work on two or three, and that's all, big budget projects where we've gone back to a location three or four times because the director just wasn't satisfied with what we got and we had the budget to do it. Uh, in the real world, if you're doing things like weddings or bat mitzvahs, that doesn't get recreated for you. You can't bring all the family back in and say, could we go through the ceremony again? So, so do practice before you take on any of these responsibilities. The best way to practice is right in your own backyard, at your own local park. Just practice playing with it and have a friend do some stupid skits or you know, film your kid playing baseball. It, it, it really doesn't take that long once you do some practice, but I'm going to say it again. I would recommend starting with a tripod and and being see it's just so much easier to be steady and get it all right and then you can graduate to the fancy handheld moves that Jefferson Graham can do. <laughs> And, and and be a part of a community. Show off your work. I, you notice I'm I'm segueing here to the iPhone photo team. So mm -hmm. take a look at, at pictures that other people are doing and videos that other people are doing. And that's another great way of learning. Well, like you said, you can sit there and look at all kinds of great videos and pictures and stuff like that. But you can also win prizes. You can also learn from Jefferson Graham, Scott Bourne, and Rich Harrington because we have tutorials there. You can join our community, which is over 600 people now. I'm so glad to say. And did I mention we have free prizes? Because that seems to be popular. <laughs> there's there's contests, including our monthly photo contest. And Jeff mentioned the Loom Cube. We are giving away a nice Loom Cube light panel this month. So enter your pictures into our circles. It's free to join. It's free to play. Come on by. And the uh, information is simple. Just go to iPhonePhotoTeam.com. You'll see the way to sign up right there. We'll have a link in the show notes. And that's where the show notes also appear. And you'll also be able to find out 
that we've given away a lot of prizes from our sponsor, Platypod. In fact, we randomly, Jeff, give away Platypod stuff almost weekly. Just I just completely arbitrarily and capriciously pick a name from our membership list and say, here, you want a prize? It's a Platypod stuff. And that's from Dr. Larry T. And we're grateful for their support as well. All right. Thank you, Dr. T. Thank you, Dr. Larry T. And I think it's time for the picks of the week, and I'm going to have you go first. Well, I'm going to pick a fluid head from a tripod, but, you know, it's on sale right now at B&H. So I don't know if it will be when this show goes. Let's hope so. But uh, the Manfrotto fluid head with a flat base is a very good beginner starter fluid head. And when I say fluid head, what's different from this in a regular tripod head is it actually has fluid in it that helps make the movements smooth. And in video, we want to learn the movements. And if all you learn how to do is a pan, which is side to side, or a tilt, which is up or down, then you'll you'll improve your videos by putting a couple of those in. For instance, if Jefferson is your subject, and he's standing by some famous art f wall or something, you can start by shooting at the ground at his feet and tilt up to his face. That's a standard video move. You can do this with a fluid head tripod. It's very hard to do with a standard tripod head. So this is the, the Manfrotto fluid head. The link's in the show notes. It's on sale right now. All right. Well, I'd like to buy one and add it to my collection. For those who don't want to spend $150, I'm going to repeat one of my earlier picks because we're talking video and I'm going to, it's the one thing I couldn't live without is my little tripod. It's a grip, it's a selfie stick, and it's a tripod and it's $25. It sells from Insta360. It's really made for the Insta360 camera, which is not that much lighter or heavier than an iPhone. So it works great with that. You'll need to buy a, a smartphone tripod adapter to stick on top. In the show notes, you'll see uh, we'll have all the info about this. Uh, it's, you know, let me just tell you, you, you hold it in your hand, it steadies the shot. You want to go higher, you go selfie stick. You do an interview in a diner when you're doing photo walks on the road in Santa Fe, in Taos, in Cambria, whatever, and you're interviewing somebody, you stick it on the table and you focus on the two of you and it fits perfectly. And the odds of you sticking a bigger tripod on a diner table is just not going to happen. So I get a lot of use out of my $25 tripod. Congratulations. I, I have never used one, but I, I can vouch for the fact that I know you used one. That's right. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I want to find out from Scott how to get in touch with him when we're not podcasting. How do we do On that? I'm on Twitter at Scott Bourne, scottbourne.com, and mostly I'm over at iphonephototeam.com. And if you post something there in terms of a chat or a question to me, I guarantee you I will answer you. And uh, Scott was really happy because we crossed 600 uh, members this week. Can we get to 650 before the next show? Oh, man, that'd be tough. I sure hope so. All right. Uh, look for me on the iPhonePhototeam.com website. Look for me, JeffersonGram.net. Look for me, PhotoWalksTV.com. Uh, check out my series on YouTube. And I'm on social media, as is Scott. I'm at Jefferson Graham. He's at Scott Bourne. That's Bourne, B-O-U-R-N-E. Mm -hmm. 
Thank you. Yes. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm going to be uh, out of town, uh, and Scott's going to be running the ship without me for the next two weeks, but I'll be back at you in July. We will miss you, but hey, come on. I'm going to I'm gonna promise you guys I'll do the best I can without Jefferson, and maybe we'll get a special guest to help out. We hope you tune in. Every Friday's a new show. Thanks for listening. We don't take you for granted. Bye-bye. <laughs>